Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. We'll take a break when we come back. Booger McFarlane. What, what? I have an early fact check on how many chickens are in the planet. How many? This just says over 33 billion. Well, that's the whole planet, though. Like, a lot of them could be in places that we don't know about. <laughs> like, I don't, you, know, you, you know... Like unknown species the, of chicken? The, the Azores? Uruguay could have nine billion. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. They say it's difficult because the, the population numbers changes every day, <laughs> every day when they kill 25 million a day. Exactly. It's hard to keep tab. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Apparently, we have a lot of emails about chickens. We'll get to them later in the show. Nigel, though, has a Mark Feinstein story to tell. Yes. So I got a text from Mark Feinstein, um, and he, he texted me just this. True story. One of my son's best friends, Sam, just decided to attend Binghamton in the fall. This was an actual conversation that Feinstein says took place in his kitchen this week. Me. Hey, Sam. Do you know who went to Binghamton? Tony Kornheiser. Sam. I don't know who that is. Sounds like a future MSNBC host to me. Terry Melber's son. (laughs) Who? Sam Melber. Okay. Yeah. That's who it is. It's Harry Melber's son. He's going there. I think um, he's going to spend a lot of time at Sharky's. <laughs> Sharky's is still there, I hope. I it's don't still know. there. That's so wonderful. The electric shuffleboard. Um, it's just such a lovely... And Speedy's, is that with the... the... Yeah, Speedy's are made there. Speedy's, but now mostly, the with, mostly with chicken. Chicken, not with lamb. When yeah. I was there, it was lamb. Well, lamb was great. There's lots of chicken. Chicken is a... Over the... We're uh... going to get to chicken later <laughs> in the show, but chicken is a more common commodity than lamb yes well, right. you, you but, can put but, it on the grill phil yeah but speedy's over, over a thick slice of white bread yeah the thick italian white bread uh speedy's that's the only place they are it's like beef on weck oh yeah only in buffalo, only right? buffalo that's right. all there are you yeah. know like buffalo wings are now exported everywhere but beef on weck is still only in buffalo uh nats win last night everybody you know all sports fans watching the basketball but me i'm not watching the basketball i'm watching the nats Mackenzie Gore with another good start. Yeah. One run in six. He went through six, I think. 101 pitches. Ten um, strikeouts. Ten strikeouts. Yeah, look good. You know, the Mets, for all the money they've spent, aren't very good. They've had two pitchers the last two days, Budo and Senga. Let's not, not poke very the bear. Good. Hmm? Let's not poke the bear. Well, I'm just saying they the don't appear. You know, until, until Scherzer and Verlander get out there, they don't appear to be very good. Their hitting is not at all what you think it's going to be. With Lindor and Alonzo and McNeil and all these guys, you think it's going to be better than it is, and it's not so far. It's not. McNeil so. has really good at-bats. You just wonder if this is one of those offenses where as soon as the calendar turns to May and it gets warm up there, they start to put up some runs. But they look, they do not look like they're in the same class as the Braves right now. No. No, they Braves. do not. By the way, for those of you who were worried about um, my condemnation of a bunch of hitters, on the Nats, like Victor Robles, who just keeps striking. He's back to striking out all the time now. Well, at least looking. he's doing it in pretty big moments. He, he waits for runners on first and second. Yeah, striking out looking all the time now. Um, and Dominic Smith, who just stinks beyond worldly comprehension. I think he's still high-fiving every Mets player before the game he starts. Just, he's terrible. He got his first extra base hit yesterday. His first extra base hit, he got a double, did not drive in a run. He's stuck on four RBI after 25 games. And then in a situation where they had two on, he popped up harmlessly to left field. He's terrible. He plays every inning. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. Did you I, watch Ryu, uh, Ryu's yesterday? He had a couple good at-bats. No. He, he just worked one for like eight, nine pitches, had a nice single up the, up the right side. So, you know, but the Nats win, and that's two in a row against a pretty good team. Yeah. It's a pretty good team, a, a team over 500. By the way, let me just say this. Um, 
the Mets series, uh, Dan Colco and Kevin Franson are doing the games. It's a I so I asked you this the other day. I'm not sure if it's my age. It's a very millennial broadcast. I mean, I just gotta love when Franz is doing the assume joke in the middle of, of last night's game, but there's just a there's a conviviality to the to the booth. They are so conversational. They seem to like each other so much. Yeah, it's, it's, it, great. it's sort of like they're sitting on your couch and you're just watching them. They're very good together. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe yeah. they're around the same age. I don't know what a millennial broadcast. I don't know what that means, but it's a very good broadcast. Just I'm just yes bringing that up. Um, basketball. Ah, God, thank God, I don't have to talk about that today. But the big story in basketball is Miami. Oh, sure. Miami eliminates Milwaukee in Milwaukee. I didn't see that come. His second time they beat him in Milwaukee, and Antetokounmpo played, didn't he? Yes. I so that's the second game in a row that they beat the Bucks with Antetokounmpo, and they beat him in overtime. Right. Yes. I don't know how many points Jimmy Butler had, but I assume he had a bunch because he's a very good player. This changes the playoffs dramatically because it means that the winner, Boston and Philadelphia, will play each other. The winner of that series will get either Miami or New York and will be decided favorites, which means that Boston and Philadelphia don't have to go through Milwaukee at all, which is wholly unexpected. And it changes the playoffs. So God knows we have three more months of these things. Butler, 42 points. That's, so that's 98 points in the last two games. <laughs> Ante the Kumpo played 42 minutes, 38 well, points. So, yeah. At 20 they, rebounds. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm just saying, yeah. I didn't think it was possible no. Miami could beat Milwaukee with Ante the Kumpo playing and healthy. And they did t- two games in a row. So this is a big change. Uh, it does not surprise me that the Lakers lost in Memphis. Uh, does it? I don't care about the Knicks and and Cleveland as much as Wilbon tries to shove this down my throat. <laughs> yes, I was a Knicks fan fifty years ago. I had hair fifty years ago. Things change, okay. And I don't know what happened in the Golden State game. Oh, that uh, was really late for on the East Coast. It was really late. We're not going to talk about it today because we got Warriors. Jeff Passan and Barry's Warriors win on the road for like the second time this year. Well, once so they were eleven and third. Okay, then this is the mythology. And Wilbon and Sacramento, how much he loves them and loves the Aaron Fox and how great they are. This is mythology, all right? Because the Warriors were 11 and 32 on the road. And if they win that game, that, by the way, is three games in a row in that series that they've won. And now they go yes. back home yes. where they are really good. Yeah. So you could end up with the two and three seed in the West, Memphis and Sacramento out early. And who beats them? Teams that have been around for a million years. The Golden yeah. State Warriors, the defending champions, and, the and the Los Angeles yeah. Lakers have been retooled ever since the. But you see, now I just I did eleven minutes on this. I don't I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. If we're off from PTI, and I don't have to do it. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> that's that's all I understand NBA doing. doing it on PTI. Sure. I get it with yeah. Mike. I understand. It's okay, but I don't want to do it here. This is of all the emails I think I've ever gotten. This is. I think the most amazing. This is from Jason Tabor. And I'm just going to read this. Tony, I found your golf ball. See attachment in Cooperstown, New York. It's a Titleist Pro V1 with a number 48. If it is your ball, I'm sure listeners would love to hear how you lost it. Shoot me your address and I will drop it in the mail to you. Check out my YouTube channel, The Golf Baller. I don't know what that is. Oh, you subscribe. Huh? What? What is the golf baller? I, that's his probably his YouTube channel. 
That, well, that's what I just said. Is there an echo in here? I no, said, I'm trying to explain. Well, what is it about, though? I assume it's about golf balls and maybe the stories that they tell when he finds them on courses. I there don't know. Maybe picture, he just reviews golf balls. There's a picture of a golf ball with my name on it. I asked Michael, does this look Photoshopped to you? Now, I haven't been in Cooperstown playing in at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember having golf balls with my name on them in 48. I mean, you would think, oh, is that how old he is? But nobody would have given me golf balls then. And I wouldn't do this. This has to be a gift golf ball. I would not have made golf balls myself sure. with Tony Right, this would be a gift it. golf ball. About five years ago, we both received golf balls from a listener that said, if found, return to this is not Tony Kornheiser. This right. is not that. This no. is almost, this feels like a gift. Like Pete Creighton uses, I mean, uses Adam, he gets two, two dozen maybe golf balls a year, <laughs> and each one has a number, and eventually you can tell where you are within the system. Uh, this looks... Adam Mandela sent me golf balls with my age on them and with other notes on them, but never just Tony Kornheiser. This looks like someone was uh, doing a deep comb of Lake Otsego. Well, this is it. Where, where could I have lost it? Okay. Well, are there In any water, tributaries? You know, oh, do you think it, it, went, it left the golf course and went into a tributary and into a lake and perhaps in the mighty Susquehanna River and drifted <laughs> all the way to Binghamton? But he said he found it in Cooperstown. Yeah. Uh, did he find it in a bush? You know, did he find it somewhere on a course that had been buried for years? Did he find it in the water? There is water. I'm a bad golfer. I lose a lot of golf. <laughs> There's balls. an island tee. This is just amazing to me. It's wild, isn't it? Totally amazing. So we yeah. have to contact Jason Tabor. Get the story. This could be 30 years ago. Honestly, well, well, we can this t- could be. So the Pro V debuted in the early 2000s. The Pro V1X was probably a few years after that. So, so you th- think it's in the 2000s? It has to be. Okay. Like so, golf ball didn't exist before that. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. Archaeologists will ponder this question for years to come. Now, you will play whatever is given to you freely, so... Of course I will. Even yes. with your name on it. Even with my name on it. And I have some make now sure you that put say the, Make sure you put it past the Johnny Bench uh, little plaque. Oh, yes, fairway. absolutely. 357 yards worth of drive <laughs> on, on um, Cooperstown Course, which is... What's the name of the course? Uh, uh, Leatherstocking. Leatherstocking. Oh, this, well, that's perfect, isn't it? It's just beautiful up Yeah, you, there. you all have said that that's one it's of the just most beautiful places you beautiful. could ever see. We would go back and forth. We would stop there on our way to Stephen Anita's in, um, in Vermont. Just just beautiful. So that's, I, I think that's the most amazing, because I don't know the golf ball. Right. So I really don't We'll know. get into what, What's the bloke's name again? Jason Tabor. Right, Looks like it's in pretty good shape. Hmm? You must have sliced that one quickly. <laughs> right into the water is yeah. my guess. Right into the water early on, and there's where's water? There's no water on the first few holes. No, there's a, you. Then you go to the other side of the road. road. And you got to cross. No, the, the, road the water is on the last couple. The, it's yeah. the 18th tee as you go around the lake. Right, that's a lot. And a, I a think probably around thing. 17 you can get. It's on the other side of the road, though. The other side of the highway. Jason Tabor, we can hold on to that. Oh, Contact sure. him if sure. he's not listening. And I want to go back over one thing. This is relatively important. The original offer for the gift to the people or person who did the best in the NCAA challenge. The bracket championship. Was a 42 long Brooks Brothers jacket. Right. I believe, Michael, that you still have that and are searching for ways to get it to some. Yeah, so uh, there is a... a Finisher, I'll use uh, Aberman Nation out in Los Angeles. There's an email in your inbox that's asking if you'd still like said jacket. I could send it to your uh, 
place of business, but I think that might be hard to explain. <laughs> uh, most of our other prizes, and Have by prizes, there's nothing like standing in hats. line at the UPS as people are... No, no hats. I thought we you gave didn't, away you didn't some give of those, me, the bagel hats. No, I'd already sent this in the mail. These are, yes. these are individually packaged uh, bags of liquid IV. Oh. Doesn't look suspicious at all. Nice. And some, various uh, yeah. loose underpants. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so, this is the UPS. Uh, the UPS clerk's like, "Would you like me to include the uh, the the name on the top, which is their bracket name, so I can help identify?" I'm like, "I think they'll I think they'll know who this is from." <laughs> so, but we're still holding the the the, the ultimate gift. Yes, and we have one more listener from uh, from Maryland where. Uh, there was some misunderstanding. You were going to drive to his house. I was, but he he entered the wrong year's tournament challenge, and he has a what? he has a place of business in Bethesda. And I said I would drop something off, so that might be in the mailbag if he has his uh, if he has his work address. We'll keep I mean, an I eye just you know, I feel yeah, that I wanted... said this is going to yeah. be the gift. Then we got more gifts, but this is still the number one gift. Yeah, we still have those hats that there will be a future prize giveaway, and we have also got this delightful the squirt tour. wee boy. Yeah, the vintage well, Michael squirt. refuses to take to his house. The squirt wee boy stays here. <laughs> So why give it out as a gift? Absolutely. You know, we sell old toys. We sell old candy. By the way, last night I had a partial big bite out of a Reggie bar. It's oh, really good. They're good, aren't they? Reggie bars are good. They're good. They're good. <laughs> I will take a break. Who's first? Is it Sverluger or Passon? Jeff Passon Jeff Passon, we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Joe Chambers, who writes, I present two songs from my former roommate, Brandon Decker, a.k.a. Decker. His music can be found at www.deckermusic.org. We attended college together 20 years ago in St. Louis, after which his path took him out west to Sedona, where he became a local music legend. His psychedelic desert folk is well known in those parts, but deserves the cast of the TK show net. He's a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan, tries to make an annual trip with his son to see the Redbirds play. Maybe they'll go up in the arch this year. Oh, if you can go up in the arch. Got to do that, right? This is called Sea Change. It's from an upcoming album called Our Burrows. It's pretty good. It's lovely. This talent? Yes. This is Decker. We'll have another song by Decker later. Plays in uh, Jeff Passan. and, And there's a million things that we can talk about with baseball after the first month. But because of who I am, Jeff, and because of who I love as a baseball player, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with what you make of the Scherzer thing and the fact that one umpire, just one umpire, Phil Cousy, has done all the throwing out of pitchers for too much goop, and no other umpire has done that. How does baseball feel about this? I think they think it's funny (laughs) because because honestly i think it's pretty funny and so maybe i'm projecting my feelings onto them um there there needs to be a villain in this situation i don't think the villain is max scherzer um i you know i think the fact that phil cuzzy has done it every time 
is kind of ridiculous. Here's here's my take on Max, and um, I'm curious, genuinely curious, what you think about this. I'm, I'm going to be very clear. I do not think Max Scherzer was trying to cheat, right? I I don't think that he's a cheater. If if you know Max Scherzer at all, I I think you take away from that knowledge that he is a rule follower. What happened is he got checked a couple of times and he, what he did was he took what was asked of him extremely literally. Phil Cousy said, go wash it off. And he didn't say, go wash it off and then wipe whatever you wash it off with from your hand or go wash it off and then wipe whatever you wash it off with from your hand and do not reapply rosin down there. I think Max Scherzer in part was like, you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to do exactly what they asked me. And then we'll see, are they actually going to throw me out? And that's what happens here. Uh, you saw David Cohn mix alcohol and rosin. And that was very clearly what was on Max Scherzer's hand, but that was not originally what was on his hand. And so because of that, I honestly, I do think this was kind of much ado about nothing. MLB didn't catch a cheater. MLB just applied the rules as they should be applied because Max Scherzer did have something that was really sticky on his hand. And whether the intent is there or not, you need to go by the letter of the law there. And the letter says if something's there, Tony, there has to be an automatic suspension. Okay, here's here's what I think about that. I mean, I, I admire Scherzer very much. Um, would he cheat with the opportunity? I think most athletes would try to get away with something cross the line just a little bit. My problem with all of it, Jeff, is that rosin is legal except when there's too much rosin, and so the line is always moving. I yeah. think I think there has to be clarity. I mean, I just think there has to be clarity. I, I would, Tony, I would I would love for there to be some sort of objective standard. Yeah, maybe there can't be. I just, I, I, I don't know in the moment what the objective standard can be. And, and because it's awfully difficult to, to figure out what that objective standard is, yeah. it comes down to a question of not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Do you think um, that this umpire... You know, if it continues this way that he's the only one throwing people out, do you think there's any jeopardy for him as a major league umpire? No, I don't. I okay. don't think that his his union would ever let him get fired over something like that. And I, I don't, Tony. I just look at this. It's you know they've been enforcing this for three years now, and there have been three incidents. Right. I just. I, I don't look at this. It, it's enjoyable to talk about. Yeah, but you don't see it, it as a major trend in baseball. Correct. Okay, yeah, that's I, fair. I don't, I don't think it's that big a deal. But but just going back to your previous point, the I, I think the the conversation that's had at MLB is, yeah, what we have right now, it's not great. But it is important to let players know that they can be caught for something like yes. this because it was getting too out of control. And it's important to throw out a big, a big guy. It is. Because you can then say, look, we're not just throwing out littles here. We're throwing yeah. out a, a Hall of Fame pitcher, so we're serious. 
Okay. Yeah, uh, okay. Honestly, anyone anyone who would just throw out littles is wrong. That's anyway. you can't. That's the wrong thing to do. It's too easy to do. Um, Absolutely. We are we are all agreed that the pitch clock is good, so we're going to move on. There is one rule, <laughs> one rule where I wonder how it is being received and and what it what the charts are mathematically. Stolen bases. Are there many more? Is the rate of successful stolen bases much higher? Are catchers going out of their minds because they can't throw people out? The rate of successful stolen bases is higher, but not like game-changingly convincingly so. Okay. It's been in recent years around 75%. Right now it's around 80 Okay. Uh, stolen, base, stolen bases are definitely up. They're... I, I wrote this earlier this week. They're at about 1.37 per game, so uh, you know they're they're up pretty significantly over the one or so per game in recent years. But the 1.37 per game is not even close to what there was in the 80s. So it's not like you know it's not like they're even back okay. to that point yet. And catchers are going out of their minds because <laughs> in reality. Uh, they almost cannot throw guys out unless their pitchers are good. And, and that's the, the, the dirty little secret of the running game is that it's much more on the pitcher holding a guy and getting to the plate fast than it is on the catcher and whatever kind of hose of an arm he's got. Like, you know, I, I think somebody once said 90% of the running game is actually on the pitcher. And, that's the truth. I, I, I totally understand that because I think if you lined up at random 15 starting catchers in the majors and said, just throw down a second base, it would be a gun. Like on, yes. only the right fielder would have an arm like that if he had an arm like that. Am I right on that? They can really throw it. They can really throw it. But but there are, there are separators in there. Like JT Real Muto is just better than everyone. Yeah. And and like significantly so. Uh, that that's the separator with him. He is just the best of the best. He's Clemente behind the plate. Wow. And wow. It's it it's fun watching him throw out base stealers, but all of them, Tony, can get a ball from the time that it hits their catcher's mitt into the glove of the second baseman in fewer than 2 seconds. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, they can really do that. That's why, to me, one of the coolest things in baseball is picking a guy off first by the catcher. I love oh, that. The, yeah, the bit. yeah, the back pick is fantastic. It's oh. uh, like any time a catcher can just pop up and, and snipe a guy. It's it's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I'm looking at the standings in preparation for you being on the show. Yesterday, I looked at the standings, and at the time I looked, and I know Arizona like, had a late game. Pittsburgh, like, Minnesota, Texas. Going on. Hmm. What? You're like, what the hell is going on in baseball? <laughs> Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Texas, Arizona were leading divisions. Yeah. Okay, I'll ask that. What the hell is going on in baseball? <laughs> well, number one, it's still April. Mm-hmm. So that explains, um, I think that explains Pittsburgh. I think that explains Arizona. I think that explains Texas. So uh, because we're one-seventh of the way into the season, 
teams that are either not necessarily favorites in their division or are off the hot start that might not be sustainable can find themselves at the top of the standings. But uh, l- let's go through all of the first-place teams right now, Tony. Minnesota's a good team. They, they've had the second-best pitching, uh, starting pitching, especially in baseball this year, behind Tampa Bay. And uh, the American League Central, um, I, I hesitate to call it a tire fire because I don't think I've ever seen a tire fire as bad as the American League Central yeah. is. It's, okay. it's it's an embarrassingly bad division with three extraordinarily disappointing teams in Detroit, Chicago, and Kansas City. Um, go to the East, the Rays. They're just really, really – they are this good. They're not – don't get me wrong. They're not 800 baseball for an entire season good, but they are good enough to win the American League East good, and they will be in the playoffs this year. And they're getting Tyler Glasnow back, and they will be a force to be reckoned with. Texas is a really interesting team. They've lost three in a row right now, but they've got the starting pitching that they went out and signed this offseason. And they, they, I mean, they hit like crazy last year. And so I think in the West, you've got uh, the Mariners who are disappointing a little bit, the Angels who are kind of treading water, and the Astros who still probably are the favorite, but. Wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if Texas made the playoffs. Uh, the Braves are leading the East because they're great. Yeah, they are great. Not much, yeah. not much to say there. The Mets are going to be fine. They've lost four in a row. Mets fans are acting. You know, Mets fans are. are I I love them, but they're just the worst. <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've just had so many Mets fans like come back into my life. My, I had a friend yesterday just text me at eight thirty my time. Um, the Mets offense is an effing disgrace. Mets fans just, you know, they take every game like it's the end of the world. And I love them for it, and I loathe them for it. Um, <laughs> so Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh right now is taking every game like it's the World Series. And it's awesome to see they're being, you know, they they are competitive with the Dodgers in the series they're in right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think the Pirates, Tony, win the division, uh, but I think they're a lot more competitive than I anticipated them being. And it's a it's a fun team to watch. And Arizona was my preseason. Hey, like you're going to dig this team because they're athletic and they run and they can hit and they can pitch. And while I don't think they're going to be in first place either, uh, this is a team, especially in the coming years, that you're going to have to really reckon with out West. It's interesting what you say about Mets fans, having been a Mets fan for much of my life and watched the two Nats-Mets games the last two days. Surprised, very surprised that both Josiah Gray and, and Mackenzie Gore really shut down the Mets lineup utterly, just Utterly. Yeah. Um, yeah, Josiah, Josiah Grace. But I think Josiah Gray had been the worst pitcher in baseball this year. Yeah, so, he was 0-4. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he shut them down. Him, yeah. yeah, seeing him do what he did. And, yeah, not a, not a great couple of days for the Metsies. But, you know, they are, like, I know Mets fans aren't going to like to hear this. Like, you're allowed to lose to bad teams. It's baseball. If you have an extraordinarily successful season – you are still losing sixty times. Yeah. If you have a if you have a playoff worthy season, you're still losing forty five percent of the time. And I know some of those losses are going to be to bad teams. It's tough to reconcile them in the moment, but the truth is that 
there are going to be bad losses in every single baseball season. Thank you, Jeff. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much. Pleasure is always mine, Tony. Take care, buddy. Jeff Passon, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll bring Barry's Verluga in. I am Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Decker. This is a song called Mojave, which I assume has something to do with the desert. I'm going to take a wild guess on that. (laughs) Decker's very good. Michael, if people like Decker want to send in their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Okie dokie. Barry's Verluga is the recipient of the playing in. There's a million things. They're all sort of small. They're all sort of local. And I am interested in them. I'm interested in, and is I this need draft talk. Not draft. Well, a little bit of draft talk. Well, we're certainly going to have to talk about Chase Young. Oh, sure. You know, being denied an extension. We'll get to that. The Masson thing. For people that don't know what I'm saying, there is something called the Middle Atlantic Sports Network that has both the Orioles and the Washington Nationals on it, and economically, it has been tilted severely towards the Orioles for a variety of reasons. Barry, can you explain the most recent court decision? And if you believe that that will smooth the way for the sale of the Washington Nationals to Ted Leonsis. So in thinking about this, I've tried to figure out a way to not dive immediately into minutia. And it's almost impossible because this network exists because Bud Selig and Major League Baseball had to find a way to appease Orioles owner Peter Angelo. Which is fair. It's fair. Yes. If they were going to move a team into his territory, and if you remember Tony, um, back then in 2004, there was a Orioles team store, I think at Farragut Square, right in downtown Washington. This was undisputably Orioles territory. Um, so here we are, uh, almost two decades later. The Orioles have disputed what the Nationals think is their fair share of revenue, um, and and re- revenue from a regional sports network for a major league baseball team is a huge, huge, huge deal. So this latest decision in a New York court um, reaffirmed the Nationals' uh, belief that they have been underpaid. um, And this was for a period from 2012 to 2016. Um, The decision fell short of ordering the Orioles to pay roughly $100 million. Now, as it pertains to the sale, it's always been my belief through reporting that any would-be buyer of the Nationals would want to know, how much am I going to make from yeah. my RSN deal? Um, because that's such a huge source of revenue, and I have to know how this all balances out. So in that way, there is a path, perhaps, to clarity for future revenues if Ted Leonsis wanted to buy the team Um I would say, though, in report, there is a line of thinking out there that Ted Leonsis, who owns, obviously, the Capitals and the, and the Wizards here in town and, and the Mystics um, and, and is the 
strongest suitor. Um, he also owns something called uh, NBC Sports Washington, which is another regional sports network. There's a line of thinking that Leonsis is not as concerned about Masson being resolved because he would like to resolve it himself. He, he thinks that he could work out a deal with the Angelos family or if Peter Angelos dies, um, which could happen at any time, um, maybe that family will sell and there will be new owners and, and it might be easier to negotiate, but that he wants the chance to, to fix this. So do I know that this makes it uh, a clearer path to, for the Lerner family to, to sell the Nationals? No, that's kind of been my assumption. Um, again, a reported assumption all the way along, but there's mean what happened last week means that next month the Nationals will be sold. Okay. Well, I'm going to stay with the Nationals in this regard. Um, the two games against the Mets notwithstanding, the Nationals are a team that's going to win 50 to 60 games this year. The Baltimore Orioles are back. You have a column in the paper today in the Washington Post. The, the, I'm, I'm curious about your feeling about the, the uh, contradistinction, a word we like to use, between the Orioles right now, a legitimate uh, championship contender, and the Nats going the other way. Well, I think if you're a Nats fan, you have to you know, look up the BW Parkway and say, okay, that's, that's what we want to be in, in three years. I mean, they accumulated a ton of talent from being bad. No, no team lost more games between 2017 and 2021 than, and that's, um, you know, three 100 loss seasons in there. Um, they were bottom of the barrel uh, and with no hope. But during they accumulated a, a ton of, of young talent. I mean, their their catcher, Adley Rushman, was the first pick in the draft. Yeah, he's great. In 2000. I mean, he's going to be, he's just going to be a pillar for years. And they have more than just him. And they've done a good job. Um, not just in those, you know, high first-run picks that you get from being bad. They've acquired cast-offs from other teams that they thought had problems and made them central pieces of, of what is a really fun and young and hungry, kind of innocent team. Um, if you're a Nationals fan, you've been through this before, if you go back to 08, 09, and, and the drafts that led to Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper, and then you bring in the pieces from it. You know what the process is like. The, the immediacy of it, the day-to-dayness of it stinks because you are going to lose 100 games this year despite what happened the last, not, yes. last couple nights in, in New York. Um, but you, you, I think in your most optimistic view, you look up the BW Parkway to Camden Yards and say, okay, we can be some version of that in two or three years who are the pieces, who are the players that I'm kind of watching to, to become my Rushman or my Gunnar Henderson or my Grayson Rodriguez in the piece rotation, that kind of thing. Yeah, this has been done before. Houston did it. Houston did it. The Cubs did it. The Nats did it. Right. It's, it's, it's been done. It's not, yeah, it's been done. It doesn't mean there's no guarantees. You have to be right. And they have to be right about having traded for C.J. Abrams and, and Kenzie Gore who last night and, and – you can't miss, but it can be done. Um, just on a, on a note, just another local note, 
This is the worst sports city in America right now, Washington. They're the worst. The four major teams, none of them made the playoffs, right? Who's worse than Washington right now? Not, nobody. It, it's pretty terrible. And, <laughs> and I, I have an online chat every Tuesday, and somebody asked, you know, which of these teams, a popular parlor game is, you know, which of the local teams is closest to a championship, right? And, and none. if your answer right now is probably the NFL team, then you're in a sorry state of affairs because um, that NFL team is, is no. banking on a round pick from last year as, as a quarterback. They, they apparently botched the second pick that they had a few years ago in taking Chase Young and now think he's not worthy of, a, of an extension. Um, it's a sorry state, Tony. And, and just personally, you know, I, it, late April and early May, like I should at least get two weeks of easy columns of, Problems, right? Like you know, oh, choked, or oh, you know, or Alex Ovechkin, or they're playing. Yes. Cross, you know, this should be a fun. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'll drive up to the Orioles because there's nothing else to do. Oh no, it's it's um, there are about 12, 13 cities in America that have all four teams: hockey, basketball, football, baseball. I don't know that there's any other city where there are no teams in the playoffs. No, I, I just don't think there and, are. And think it, you know, a place. We have had this very rarely because the Wizards are, are generally bad. But um, you know, like take Boston right now. You're you're you've got the Bruins and the Celtics both with championship aspirations, and it's a nightly frenzy yeah. with the backdrop of you know the beloved Red Sox um, contending. But people still care. I mean, that's if you're a four sport city, that's what you envision. Not like April 28th with crickets. No, you're right, Chase Young. Everybody thought Chase Young was going to be a Pro Bowl player for years and years and years. You know, and we know from the commercial that he believes in family, Chase Young. That commercial's going out the, the door at this point. The Washington football team said, we're not, we're not giving you a contract because you're not on the field. You're not on the field, right? He's not on the field. Well, I mean, it's not even just... Yes, a big chunk is you're not on the field. You weren't on the field. You blew out your knee in the midway through your second year, and it took way longer than everybody thought back on the field your third year. But, Tony, since he was the, the key of the year, um, made very, very little impact when he has been on the field. And I think this is, as as it's a... Uh, uh, you know, kind of damning that they took this guy second in the draft and they're not willing to even pick up the, the, his fifth-year extension. It's unbelievable. He's got one and a half sacks since he came back to play. Correct. And he's the number two overall pick. And and they're saying, we blew this pick. He's a bust. Yeah. I never and would have thought this. The context, I wouldn't have thought it either, but the context is, too, he, he has one and a half sacks on a defensive line where – he can't be the primary focus because all the other players are very, very good. So he, he should be Getting more. free to roam and wreak havoc. And if you, Tony, if you, if you, if this really doesn't work out and he is not an impact player um, in 2023 and they don't, you know, there is still a path that he ends up staying here for a while if he's an impact player this coming season. But if he, if he doesn't, you can't help, but go back to that draft in 2020 and think, well, Tua Tagliavoa went 
Justin Herbert went sixth, and this is a franchise that never, ever, ever has a franchise quarterback, and you just you blew it. You did yeah. not do the best thing, the most important thing you could do, which is solve the most important position. You took a guy who you thought was a generational talent and were not able to get production out of him when he's been on the field. All right, I'll get you out of here on this, and it has nothing to do with anything local. Uh, Tiger Woods had another operation, another surgery. You cover this. You write about this. How long do we cling to this myth that Tiger Woods is going to come back and be great? I'll tell you, Tony, um, I walked with him at the Masters on the Saturday morning that was the um, completion of the second round, and and by that cold um and if you've you've been to augusta you know that walk down the 10th hole that is such a dramatic like you stand behind it and it looks like a you're going off a ski hill and i i'm walking along what um and thinking he just can't do it anymore it's not the golf shots and and it's you know it's funny like you mentioned a couple times um you know, in a few years, when he turns 50, I'll, I'll be able to get, he calls it a buggy, which is what they call a golf cart in in, um, in England. Um, he almost was relishing the idea of, if I don't have to walk, I can execute the shots. And that may well be true. Um, but the latest surgery is an indication that walking in his future is, is a chore. I mean, in his present and his future is, is a chore. And walking in major championship golf is required. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think we've learned not to do absolutes about Tiger because he does the so much and, and winning the Masters in 2019, wrong with his back and his knee and all that stuff. Um, it was uh, amazing, but I'm really close to absolutes with him. I, I just, I just don't think our accident and after having all that hardware in his leg and, yeah. and, resulting um, plantar fasciitis and arthritis. Uh, oh, did we lose Barry? Barry? Are you there? I think we lost Barry. Oh, you there? Oh, there oh we, we just lost you for a while. We just oh, lost sorry. you. Um, all right, yeah, he's, it, it's, unless they do a Casey Martin deal, unless they, and I don't think they're going to do that, right, Barry? They're going to not gonna and, let him ride in a the cart. They're not. I don't think so, and I don't think, I think, for his pride, he wouldn't. He, he'll do that on the senior tour. I don't. I don't think he would do that in a major. Yeah, chance. I agree. I agree. All right, we got to work on your phone, but all the information <laughs> is great. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Tony. Sorry about that. It's all right, Barry's Raluga, boys and girls. We will have email and jingle when we return. And I am Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss. Five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is The Tony Kornheiser Show. He's a doctor. <laughs> Ian Warrington playing all these instruments. Every instrument. He's a medical doctor. I can't do anything. I can't play the piano, which I want to 
to do. I really can't do anything but memorize rock and roll tunes. Ian Warrington, a doctor. That's going to do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, his rival, it seems, had broken his dreams by stealing the girl of his fancy. Her name was McGill, and she called herself Lil, but everyone knew her as Nancy. That's Paul McCartney singing Rocky Raccoon. The reference to everyone knew her as Nancy stuck in my head for years and years and years, and I began to talk about in columns that I wrote my smart friend Nancy. And that was Jeannie McManus. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, she just became my smart friend Nancy. It was my smart friend Martha, who was Martha Sherrill, and my smart friend Nancy, who was Jeannie McManus. Do you want to do the Bethesda bagel ad? Uh, Beth- uh, by the way, I'd always wondered where that came from. Yeah. So that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, Bethesda bagels, we love them, you will as well. Just go I ahead. have a friend, Nancy Serafini, who thinks it's her. <laughs> and it's- every time I say to her, it's not you. <laughs> she says, oh, no, it is me. It is me. I go, no, it's, uh, it's not you. I'm sure this will get to Nancy. <laughs> I love Nancy. I've known her my whole life. Yes. Her husband, Joe, just had a hole in one recently. Where? Oh, yeah. that's spring. Congrats, yeah, Joe. At uh, Old Tabby. Old Tabby. Yeah, at Old Tabby. So, so. BethesdaBagels.com, just go to find the location of the D.C. area near you, then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. Nancy's had a hole in one herself as well. What, she hit driver? I Probably on a par three, but she has a hole in one, and I don't. I don't. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Jeff Passett and Barry's Veluga. Thanks to our sponsor, Trade Coffee. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Okay, I've got a bunch of things here. And we'll get to the chickens, but I've got a bunch of things. This is from Michael Nuttall in Cincinnati, Ohio. On Monday's show, you mentioned Molly from Weaver Eggs and mentioned it being in a small town in Ohio. My ears perked up as I'm originally from a small town in Ohio. Nigel then mentioned it was located in Versailles, which he pronounced like the city in France. Sure. Understandable, seeing as he spent his his youth in Europe. However, this is blue-collar rural Ohio we're talking about here, so naturally it's not pronounced like it would be literally everywhere else in the world and is in fact pronounced for sales. For sales. Ironically, though, there is a hotel in the town called the Inn at Versailles that they pronounce (laughs) like Versailles. I grew up about 40 minutes up the road in an even more blue-collar rural Ohio town called Rockford, and our schools were in the same athletic conference. I used to take a long bus ride from our small town to their small town just to get beat by 30 in basketball and turn around and ride home. I hate those guys. (laughs) All that said, you can imagine my confusion learning in middle school history about the Treaty of Versailles and the fancy French pronunciation. Anyway, there's a winery in Versailles that's pretty good. I would recommend their Rodeo Red. I hear it pairs well with a bowl of ice cream (laughs) over the kitchen sink, which is just Mm. a wonderful email. Okay, here we go. Here we go with chicken stuff. This is from Ed Lockett in Conway, Arkansas. Many years ago, the 1970s, I was an aspiring chicken farmer in Arkansas. Bald Knob, Arkansas, to be precise. On this farm, we had laying eggs, 36,000 of them. The chickens were housed in three 60-foot by 300-foot buildings, four chickens per 12 by 12 by 20-inch cage. We would purchase the chickens from a hatchery when they were 20 weeks old, and each chicken would lay about 200 eggs per year. The production lifespan of a laying hen is 70 to 75 weeks. Most producers back then would contact a retailer. We had a contract with Safeway, who packages and distributes the eggs to their stores. After the hens are finished with their production life, they are not suitable for use as meat. They are usually sold for soup or use in pet food. With the marvels of modern science, hens today likely last longer and produce more. Their fate, sadly, remains the same. I am not requesting to be the official chicken farm correspondent of the Tony Kornheiser Show. I would not wish that on anyone. That's not a great retirement plan for the chickens. 
It ends badly, it but it does for every everyone. It's true. Uh, Brian in San Antonio. The tales of Molly's chicken farm inspired me to write some lyrics. If any musicians out there want to put them to music, I'd ask only that they invite me to join them at the Grammys. Well, I wake up in the morning, got chickens on my brain. There's millions of them birds. They're driving me insane. All night and day, cleaning poops my chore. I ain't going to work on Molly's farm no more. <laughs> With apologies to Bob Dylan, of course. Um, from Peter O'Brien. In Ireland, in County Tipperary, or Tipperary in Ireland, I did some quick research to be classified as free-range in the USA. Each chicken needs at least two square feet of living space. By using Gary math, I think the 12 million chickens would require 24 million square feet, or almost 551 acres. This equates to roughly 417.5 football field. So that's a, a large amount of area. P.S. I thought that Louise Gluck's perfect game was the zenith of Mr. Burns' talent, but Phil Cousy giving the violinist a hook for too much rosin is monumental. From Justin Johnson, who's a club member since 2011 in Arlington, Virginia, which came first, 12 million chickens or 12 million eggs? That's sort of fun. From Mark Copeland in Hershey, Pennsylvania, three Miss Mollies, two Cadbury, one Fabergé, also receiving votes over easy scrambled and in one basket. That's funny. <laughs> From Casey um, Wendeln, W-E-N-D-E-L-N, Wendeln. I listened with great interest to your story about meeting Molly from Weaver Eggs at a wedding last weekend. I knew as soon as you started discussing meeting someone with an egg farm in small town Ohio that you must be talking about Weaver Eggs in Versailles, Ohio. In classic Midwestern, huh? I said apologies. Yeah, in classic Midwestern fashion, the name of the town where Weaver Eggs is located is actually... Uh, called Versailles, as opposed to the French palatial pronunciation of Versailles. I know this because I grew up in the neighboring community of Russia, Ohio, which is pronounced Rushi. Rushi. We have a nearby uh, Lima, Ohio, pronounced Lima. Houston, Ohio, pronounced Houston, just like the street in New York City, and a variety of other butchered names of famous (laughs) geographical locations. Growing up in the neighboring town three miles away, when the wind blew the wrong direction from Versailles to our community, you couldn't go outside because the stench was wretched, not to mention the terrible fly problem as a result of the surrounding farms. Despite this drawback, Weaver Eggs is an institution in Versailles and has resulted in the town hosting its annual community festival called Poultry Days, where people come from far and wide to purchase Barbecue chicken dinners. The dead ones. The dead ones. (laughs) Reportedly, they sold 35,500 in one weekend last year. If you're ever in the West Central Ohio region in June, I invite you to check it out. Also notable about for sales, former Washington National starter and reliever and recent San Diego Padres reliever, Craig Stammen, went to high school there and grew up on a nearby farm. From Steve the Sycophant. Monday's fascinating story about massive egg-producing chicken farms took me way back to 1949 or 1950, when I was visiting my uncle and aunt's farm near Plattsmouth, Nebraska. It was a classic family farm, which included a few egg-laying hens with one rooster, of course. When it was time to prepare Sunday dinner, I followed my uncle outside as he picked out a fat hen, put it on a big stump, and quickly chopped its head off with a hatchet. My aunt had a huge pot of boiling water ready, dropped in the dead hen, then efficiently plucked off all the feathers and prepared the chicken for baking in a corn cob heated oven, no less. As we ate dinner, I asked why that particular hen had been selected. My aunt said because the hen had quit laying eggs. I then said in all my six-year-old wisdom, well, that's what happens when you don't produce. <laughs> Until my uncle and aunt passed, any time I visited, I could be sure my brilliant comments would be repeated in excruciating detail. By the way, it was the best chicken I ever had. 
Because it's fresh. It was a fresh chicken. Yes. From Chris Band Cells, Forest Hill, Maryland. Quote, I will check on the lifespan of a chicken in a moment. Unquote. <laughs> I love this show. <laughs> From Harry Howell in Cleveland. I enjoyed your discussion about chickens on the Monday pod. My son and his girlfriend live on a farm in LaGrange, Ohio, about 25 minutes southwest of Cleveland. They have horses, cows, goats, sheep, foxes, and of course, chickens, about 100 of them. 100 seems like a lot. 12 million is unimaginable. When Brett built the chicken coop, he followed guidelines and made sure there were 2.6 square feet per chicken. If you do the math, 12 million chickens would require 31.2 million square feet, which is 716 acres. Considering that the average 18-hole golf course occupies 180 to 220 acres, you should hope that Molly's family chicken swarm never gets near Columbia. As always, thanks for the insights, entertainment, and laughs. And he included... A picture of a bunch of eggs. It was just a two-day haul. Two day, like a huge basket of eggs. And the foxes don't get into this? Yeah, the fox in the hen house, I guess yeah, not. Don't know. From Brad Phillips, who signs 184, obviously Chuck and Rossi. <laughs> yeah. Did you happen to ask Molly if there are any traffic updates in Galena? Now, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. From Brian Rigsby in Elon, North Carolina, the home, I guess, of Elon University. Oh, sure. On Friday's show, you stated that everyone would want a cow. Since you also want a box of that, I'm sending you a cow. Since you did not state whether you wanted the cow living or not, I went for the cheaper shipping option. If you'd rather have a living cow, some assembly will be required upon delivery. Okay. Here's a one in a million story from Jim Coleman, class of 1971, not University that Jim not, not, of, that. not that Jim Coleman. Uh, class of 1971, University of Pennsylvania, who lives in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and I know where Wayne, Pennsylvania oh, yeah. is. I've got friends that live in Wayne. Wayne, yeah. Pennsylvania is in northeast Pennsylvania near Camp Kiuma. Kids. Yeah. Wayne County, I assume, is Wayne. I assume. Tony, you and I go way back, but only I know it. I even ate lunch at Chatter a few years ago. Here's the smallest of small world stories. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I were on an Alaska cruise about 15 years ago, was a small boat, around 35 passengers, which was great because we would stop and watch the whales rather than see them as we sped by, as the big ships did. Another nice thing was we would eat dinner with different passengers each night. One night, the following conversation occurred. Me, I'm Jim from Philadelphia, stranger. I'm Mary from Wilmington, me. I spent a month in Wilmington about 10 years ago trying a case. Mary, I once sat on a jury about 10 years ago. Me, my case was an asbestos case. Mary, mine too. The judge was Judge Taylor. Me, you were on my jury. My wife, do you remember Jim? Mary, I remember he was a good dresser. My wife, full water spit. Yes, I won the case, and no, I wasn't a particularly good dresser, but for some reason, the other lawyer wore white socks to court every day. One in a million. That's, That's that is. crazy. From Ed Patterman in Prescott, Arizona. Tony, I saw the Binghamton golf team today at the Big Sky Golf Championship at Talking Stick Golf Course in Scottsdale. Through two rounds, the Bearcats are at 597, 32 strokes behind leader Northern Colorado Bears heading into the final round. Tournament ends tomorrow. Got some making up to do. Now, that should have ended. Can you look up the Big Sky Golf Championship and where Binghamton finished and where some of our guys are? Like we had Evan Sitz and Brandon Connor and Sean Colella and Tynan Jones and Ryan Millivoy. Those were our top five guys. And Evan Sitz had a two-round total of 148, which can't be bad. It's probably a par 72. That can't be bad. So anyway, so look that up. From Adam Beam in Plumas Lake, California. This is a great story. 
I was pleased to hear you wish Chipper Jones a happy birthday on Monday's PTI show, including the tidbit about how Mets fans would often taunt Chipper by chanting his real name, Larry, Larry, during his at-bats. But you left out the most compelling part of the story, and I add parenthetically because I didn't know it. Chipper had great success against the Mets, particularly at their old stomping grounds of Shea Stadium. Yes, he killed them. He killed them in the way that... that uh, Freddie Freeman killed the Nats. Yes. You know. Yeah, just love He had 19 home runs in 88 games at Shea. That's the most home runs Chipper hit in any park outside of Atlanta, and that's not even the best part. Jones named one of his sons Shea. When they tore down Shea Stadium, Chipper got two of the seats and bolted them to his son's bedroom wall. In his book, (laughs) Chipper writes about taking his son to see Shea Stadium before they tore it down. He says he arrived at the stadium early with his family. As they walked through the tunnel, Jones wrote that a Mets fan yelled out, which one is Shea? Shea raised his hand and said, right here, like father, like son. That is a great story. It is. You know? Binghamton finished sixth out of six. Oh. Unfortunately. We were doing uh, well. Brandon Connor led the team, uh, tied for 16th. The tournament results show that mm, uh, too bad. Northern Colorado, Sacramento State, Idaho, Weber State, Hartford, and then Binghamton. Hartford and Binghamton. What's wrong with this picture? Why are we in the big sky? <laughs> well, traditional now, big sky. Now, I have a Binghamton bag. Yes. You know, so matters to me. Jason in the Valley. This afternoon, like most, I went to the ESPN website to see what's happening in the world of sports. There was a baseball article on the front page. I looked at the byline, and in your voice read, Jeff Passant, boys and girls. Get out of my head, old man. <laughs> Um, from Craig in Richmond. Heard you and Nigel giving reviews of CVS parking lots. How's the one over on Brandywine in Wisconsin? That's <laughs> really funny. Um, okay. Emery from Watertown, Mass. It rained in Boston on Sunday. Said someone tell Pablo. I don't really even understand that. From Alex Schwarm in Glen Ridge, New Jersey. This hasn't come up yet, but I wanted to make sure you knew the construction is complete on the Kingsland Road Bridge between Passaic Avenue and Washington Avenue in Nutley, New Jersey. The bridge is fully operational again. The 121-year-old bridge closed in July of 2021, so it could be replaced. The projected timeline of the construction was 10 months. Two months into the project, a flood set back the schedule. Mm -hmm. Then the primary contractor went into bankruptcy. Hey, it's New Jersey. Now, nearly two years later, we're back in business, and Essex County residents like myself can now easily drive to the neighborhood Target without the obnoxious detour through the Clifton Commons parking lot, inevitably adding five minutes to the drive. Instead of seeking an update on road construction, I'm happy to give one. I'm not sure that Target has the latest COVID booster. <laughs> Be well, Alex Schwarm <laughs> in Glen Ridge, New Jersey. Got on your bike side, everybody. Do wear white. What's that, chicken? Every night is the f- chicken. <laughs> Holy God almighty. 